Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com. Do you see what I see? Do you see what I see?
much bigger than my faith And struggles steal my breath away When my back's pressed up against the wall With the weight of my worries stacked up tall You're strong enough to hold it all And I will cast my cares on you You're the Cast my cares, I will. Cast my cares, I will. Cast my cares on you. Cast my cares, I will. Cast my cares, I will. Cast my cares on you. Cast my cares, I will. Cast my cares, I will. Cast my cares on you I will cast my cares on you You're the anchor of my home The only one who's in control I will cast my cares on you I'll trade the troubles of this world For your peace inside my soul Cast my cares, I will. Cast my cares, I will. Cast my cares on you. Guys, this morning I want to read these two uh, verses of scripture back to, uh, back to back, and I want to read them three times in a row, and I want to invite you guys to read them with me. Uh, the first one, 2 Peter 5 7. Let's read these words together. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a strong mind. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. For God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind.
Strong. 
As we see the images come through from the Ukraine after the past couple of weeks, uh, it's heartbreaking, and it's uh, it's a struggle. It's a struggle because we just can't kind of wrap our minds around what's taking place in that part of the world. And as we watch it unfold, we we have this this hurt that's in our heart, and we. We feel for the, the folks that are there. We, we mourn with, we grieve for, we pray for the people and the families who have um, lost loved ones during this time. And we pray for the, the fear that is definitely a part of that part of the world. And yet, even as we watch all of that unfold, what what we notice most of all and what we recognize most of all is that that is just a sample of how dark this world can be. And the darkness that's in our world is what's kind of driving and and pushing this series that we're in right now called Be a Light and it's what's pushing this emphasis that we have started around here and this is just the beginning of, of where we're heading as a church at First Christian to be a light. See, Jesus said, um, when he was talking about this idea of being a light and, and who we are as a church, he said, you are the light of the world. Let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. And we've emphasized the you parts of that particular passage Because what Jesus wasn't saying only is he wasn't telling all of us, look, you all, when you're together, when you're gathered together in a building, when when you're in this hour together on Sunday morning, during that time, you're the light of the world. No, he was saying to you individually, to me individually, you are the light of the world. So let your light shine. You have a responsibility, if you're a follower of Jesus, to be a light into the lives of people and loved ones that you have who are currently, spiritually speaking, living in darkness. And so last week we challenged all of us with just two things to do. It's two challenges. The first one, because both of these are very doable, but the first challenge that we have is to pray specifically. To pray specifically for five people, five people who do not, at this point, have the light of Jesus in their life. 
that we would pray specifically for five people who right now aren't ready for their last day on planet Earth. And so today, it's already started, okay? This idea of praying specifically has already started out in the commons. And out in the commons, what we have seen is people who are taking those little light bulbs and they're writing down the five names. They're writing down those five names on those bulbs and they're then taking just the first name because it's a little bulb. You can't get the whole name on there, okay? So just the first name of those five people that you've thought of. And then you're gonna screw those little light bulbs and people have done this into those sockets and they light up. It really works. And as that's happened, people are, are starting to, it becomes this thing that we're holding on to and saying, those are the people that I'm going to be praying specifically for. And these are family members and these are neighbors. And these are people who are going through a tough season of life right now. These are colleagues that we have from work and, and, and these are um, extended family folks and these are friends of ours who need Jesus. And so if you haven't yet, before you leave today, if you want to, and it's not a pressure thing, except I really want you to do it. Um, I want you to stop by the display, and I want you to write down your five. And just write them down on a bulb, and then put that bulb in the display. And, and, and if you're watching online, maybe th this is kind of online for you, and, and that's kind of how church is happening for you, or maybe you're away from us right now, and, and, and that's how you're watching. There, we we want to be there for you, too. Okay, so I'm talking specifically to you who are watching online. There's a way that you can have a bulb on the display as well, and it's this simple. You're just gonna text, you don't even have to text your name. Just text your five first names to 270-765-4994, okay? 270-765-4994. You send your five names in, we will write those names on a bulb and put it in the display for you. Okay, we want everyone to participate in what's going on. We want everyone to participate in, in praying specifically for these five names. And we're gonna leave the display up, not just for the three weeks of this series, this display is gonna stay up for this year. Okay, and over the next year, it's gonna be a reminder to every one of us, every time that we walk through those doors, to keep praying, to keep praying for our five. Because this is not something that's gonna get solved in three weeks. This is not something that just takes a, a momentary prayer and we're good to go. We have stories here. We have a history here at First Christian Church of people. There are great stories of folks who have prayed and they have prayed for husbands and they have prayed for sons and for daughters and have prayed for, for siblings and for dear, dear friends to come to know the light of Jesus in the midst of their own darkness. And the stories are not stories of people who prayed for like three weeks and everything turned out just fine. These are stories of people who prayed for five years, 10 years, 20 years on a daily basis, prayed for these people and their persistence and their belief and their patience and their consistency paid off. And what we are reminded in the midst of that is that we should never ever underestimate the power of prayer. And therefore, we should never look at prayer as something that we do for just a little bit of time and then we'll be done. We want to be reminded to keep praying because when we pray, heaven shakes and darkness gives way and the power is unleashed. So pray specifically. Secondly, last week, I, I challenged you to invite boldly. 
And I kind of want to hang out right there for today. Just be focused in on this idea of inviting boldly. I was thinking about uh, this week the, the power of invitation that has been a part of my life. Because there are certainly moments in my life where invitation played a significant role in life change for me. I remember the first time that I uh, invited this girl in my college named Stacia out on a date. And I wanted to kind of show off my highbrow culture, show her the kind of spare no expense attitude that I live by. So I took her to see 101 Dalmatians. It was animated Disney classic. It wasn't the first time it had been in the theater. This is like the fourth time it had been released and put into the theaters. And because of that, it wasn't showing at just every old theater. It was a very special place that you had to go to see 101 Dalmatians. They call it a dollar movie theater. And so I bought both tickets. And we went to see 101 Dalmatians. And then, just so you understand, that wasn't all. We went to Olive Garden, because I had a coupon. <laughs> There's nothing like putting the credit card down and the coupon right on top of it to really impress that first date. But that one invitation changed both of our lives. When I was 22 years old, um, I had just recently graduated from college. And I had also just recently been fired from the only preaching or ministry job I'd ever had. And it hurt. It was awful. It was painful. It was ugly. And in that moment, I didn't know what I was going to do because I didn't know you could get fired from a ministry, first of all. Never heard of that before. And I wasn't sure if anybody would ever want me again. And this guy named Ross Pepper, who was a senior minister at a church in Kissimmee, he invited me to come and be on their staff. Now, looking back on it, I've come to realize that the reason he invited me is that I was young and I was cheap. But Ross, even though I've told him, still doesn't really understand how redeeming and how confidence building and how important that invitation to come and be there was. Invitations are powerful. Invitations can be life-changing. There's this parable that Jesus told. It shows up in Luke chapter 14, and it's a parable that it's all about who Jesus invites to church. If you've got your Bible with you, I'd love for you to open with me to this parable. Maybe you've got a phone or a tablet with you that's got a Bible app. Feel free to open those and find your way to, to Luke chapter 14. And as we get there, Jesus begins his parable in verse 16, and he says this. A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited, how many did he invite? He invited many 
guests, the Bible tells us. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. Now, before we go any further, I just want to, I want you to understand the comparison Jesus is making. Jesus is saying, look, there's this guy who seems to be a wealthy landowner who throws this banquet and it's a huge feast and he has already invited people to come and, and come to it. And, and once all of it, because it's going to take a while, once all of it is ready to go, then, then he tells everyone that he's already invited that they are welcome to come. And the comparison that Jesus is making is that God has prepared a feast for all of us. And God has thrown open the doors and says, it's ready. Everybody come. I want a big crowd in here. But as Jesus is telling this parable in in Luke chapter 14, um, people that had been invited before, they didn't want to come. Jesus goes on and he says this. He says that, um, here we come, there it is. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said, I have just bought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I have just bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try, and, to try them out. Please excuse me. I gotta go try out some cows. That's the excuse that we're given. Still another said, I just got married, and I can't come. Now, just so you know, those are horrible excuses. And on top of that, to the master that's speaking, that has invited everybody to come, they're known to be horrible excuses. And so this whole thing is unbelievably offensive to the master who has invited so many to come. Jesus keeps going and he says this, the servant came back and he reported this to his master, all the excuses that had been made and then the owner of the house became angry, rightfully so. And he ordered his servant, okay, don't miss this. He said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in who? Bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Okay, This is a huge moment. I love this because this is Jesus, and timeline-wise, this is before the church has gotten established, and yet Jesus is establishing what the identity of the church is gonna be. Jesus, before the church even gets started, and one of the best parts about the church, and one of the things that I dearly love about the church is that Jesus is making it very, very clear that the church is for the poor, and it's for the crippled, and it's for the lame, and it's for the blind. And it includes everybody. It includes people who have made really bad decisions. And the church is for people who have made really bad mistakes. And the church is for people who right now in life are not okay. And the church includes Messy people. There's this other moment that um, isn't connected to this parable that Jesus is teaching, but it was a moment that Jesus had with his disciples where he emphasized how valuable messy people are and how valuable he anticipated and expected messy people to be to his church. There's a moment where Jesus takes his disciples to a place called Caesarea Philippi. 
Now, we come across that in, in the Bible, and it just, to us, we don't know geography, and we don't pay attention to those kinds of things. It's just a city, and they went to a different city than the city that they were in, and then something happened. That's how we read the Bible. We don't know the geography, and so it doesn't necessarily make sense to us. But what happened in Caesarea Philippi is really important. It was in Caesarea Philippi that Jesus asked his disciples maybe the most important question that he ever asked them. He looked at his disciples and he simply said, who do you guys say that I am? Who do you think I am? It was in that moment that Peter spoke up and he said, you are the Christ. I got this figured out, you're the Messiah, the son of the living God. Now the beauty of that is we just heard those words repeated to us from a young lady making that confession as well. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Powerful words from Peter. And the words that Peter confessed, that they matter. But the place matters too. See, Caesarea Philippi was known as kind of the super Walmart of uh, pagan idol worship. Every version of religion that you could possibly imagine was available to you at Caesarea Philippi. Caesarea Philippi was this spot where all of these um, religions kind of converged. And, and in fact, the region was known as Panion, which is named after uh, the Greek god Pan, who by mythology standards in their own kind of belief was half goat, half human. That'll come into play here in a second. Even today, you can go to Caesarea Philippi and you can see some of the leftover remnants of what this city was like. And what you'll see there are these niches that have been carved in beautifully into the stone that's there on the mountainside. And into those little alcoves would go statues and idols, graven images made to all of these different gods from all kinds of different religions. And there in Caesarea Philippi, coming out from those rocks coming out from those cliffs were buildings and temples, shrines that had all been erected to all the different gods. And so these are the backsides of all of those buildings. And as you walked into Caesarea Philippi, it was kind of clear that this is like the red light district for all things idol worship. And there was so much immorality that was just unbelievably clear. If you have to think about Caesarea Philippi, it would be like New Year's Eve and spring break and Mardi Gras in Vegas, all put together times 100, okay? That's what Caesarea Philippi was. Now, on the bottom of all these niches that are carved into the stone, you can also come to this place, which is this big cave that's there. You can even see that there's, they went back and carved a niche into there, but this cave today, there's been a number of earthquakes that have happened, and so small stones, big stones have fallen into this cave and have kind of built it back up, but in Jesus' time, it was a cave that dropped off sharply and went straight down 800 feet, and at the bottom of the cave was a stream that was flowing, and the pagans believed that that cave, that opening right there, was the gates to the underworld. 
And because they believed that it was the gate to the underworld, they believed that they had in their town the ability to call back their god Pan. And so in order to entice his return, each year the people of Caesarea Philippi engaged in prostitution, engaged in sexual interaction, human to human, and believe it or not, human and goat. And they would do animal sacrifices, and and horrifically there were babies that were roasted alive as part of the sacrifice to these gods. See, they believed that they were literally a city that was at the gates of Hades, the gate to the underworld. So here's Jesus and his disciples in Caesarea Philippi. And they, Jesus asks everybody, hey, who do you say I am? Peter says, you're the Christ, the son of the living God. And you can see a smile come across Jesus' face and Jesus says, that's right, Peter. And on that right there, I'm gonna build my church. And when I build my church, the gates of Hades will not be able to stand up against it. And he was actually saying it, standing in front of the gates of Hades, thought by the pagans. And Jesus led his disciples to this point, but it's bigger than that. He didn't lead them out here to this point to make that point. And that's a great illustration. I mean, from an illustration standpoint, having the gates of Hades to be able to point to when you say, and the, my church, the gates of Hades, will not prevail against it, and you point to the gates of Hades, that's pretty good. But that's not even why he was there. Caesarea Philippi is not where Jesus lived. In fact, it's not even close to where Jesus lived. It's not even close to where Jesus did the rest of his ministry Scholars believe that it would have taken Jesus and his disciples seven days to walk to Caesarea Philippi from where they normally were. They made a journey just to get there. And it wasn't just so Jesus could make this illustration. Jesus went to all the effort and he did a seven day walk with these 12 guys because of the messy people that he knew would be in Caesarea Philippi. And when he sat down with his disciples to talk about his church, he wanted to make sure that he was gonna build his church and that his church was going to be filled with and his church was going to be in the middle of messy people because Jesus is not afraid of messy people. Jesus doesn't run from messy people. Jesus runs to messy people and as a church, This is something that we are gonna have to wrap our minds around because for far too long and in far too many churches, there has been a spirit that says, look, once you become like us and once you start talking like us and once you start acting like us, then you can become part of us. That's not what Jesus did. Jesus didn't say, hey, once you start to become perfect like me, then I'll take a look at you. No, Jesus left his throne in heaven to come and be among us, to come and be with us, and to come and be like us. Jesus does not run from messy people. He runs to messy people. And Jesus wanted to make it clear that it's messy people who are invited to the church. 
This is why I'm challenging it. So I'm challenging myself to bring five first-time guests to First Christian Church sometime in the next 12 months. You can bring them to a worship service, you can bring them to Easter, you can bring them to an event that's going on in the summer, but bring five first-time people and bring them in close proximity to Jesus. But here's my hunch. I think that what prevents most of us from being a light is that we get really freaked out about this moment right here, okay? If this is the spiritual journey that people go on, I think we get really freaked out about this moment when, when every person has the opportunity to cross over a threshold of faith, where everybody has a chance to say, yeah, I believe that the grace and the mercy and the love and the forgiveness of Jesus was meant for me and I wanna commit myself to him and be baptized. We're nervous about being a part of that decision for somebody. And we're so freaked out that we kind of shy away from being a light because we're afraid that we don't know what to say in that moment and we wouldn't know what to do in that moment and worse yet, we're afraid that we're going to do or say the wrong thing. And the thought of leading somebody across a, a faith line, man, some of us start hyperventilating when we think about that. So let, let me, let me kind of reduce maybe 90% of your anxiety about being a light. Let me bring the fear factor way down. See, if you were to chart someone's spiritual journey towards Jesus, it doesn't start here. If you were to chart it, that, that timeline would look a lot different. It would have a lot of little moments along the way. And think about the moment that you became a follower of Jesus, okay? So that for you was this moment. But long before this moment happened, all of us know that we had a time in our life that we were before Jesus, okay? We were living life without Jesus. And at some point along the way, whether we were you know, anti-Jesus or whether we just didn't care about Jesus or whether we recognize that there's almost as many churches as there are Starbucks and so we started to figure out that, hey, that's a, something a lot of people are doing but I'm not really interested. Somewhere along the way, there was somebody who said, you know what? Let me tell you something I heard this week, or let me, let me live out something this week, or let me handle a situation in a way that you weren't expecting me to handle it, and you suddenly moved from being just completely disinterested, negative 10 in your spiritual journey, to negative eight, okay? Probably still not planning on going to church, but there may be a God out there. And then somewhere along the way, somebody helped you go from negative eight to negative six, and negative six to negative four, and then at some point, yeah, you, you, you had to kind of make a decision about what you believed about Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness meant for you. But when we invite somebody to church, they don't walk in the door and come to this moment. There had to be some other moments of progress in their spiritual journey before this part ever comes. And so, if you can help somebody make a little progress, okay? If you can help somebody kind of go from negative 10 to negative eight, and then maybe as you do that and, and they show a little bit of interest, maybe at that point you can invite them and invite them to First Christian Church and, and maybe they start to come. And so at some point along the way, they get here. 
Here's what I promise you. You be the inviter. You be the progress maker. When we get here, we will help you with this. We will help them with this. And you can just stop freaking out about it. And put that away. And so really what we're asking can all be wrapped up in just two steps. And in reality, you can whittle that all the way down and the whole thing takes three words. We're just asking you to invest and invite. You invest in authentic, warm, trusting relationships that develop over time. And when that trust has been built and when those real friendships are going on, then you invite them to church with you. But it starts not with the invite, it starts with investing in those relationships. See, we have this thought that our culture and our society is not interested in church, that people are running away from church and people want nothing to do with church and people are far more cynical than they've ever been before. And, and maybe that's true on in, in some level, except that there was a recent survey that came that people who did not go to church answered a question that four out of five of them would accept an invitation to go to church with somebody if that invitation was given by somebody that they trusted. It's not about the church building, sending out cold information to people that we don't even know and hoping that they show up. It's about church people, investing in people who are already in their world. Did you know that in the Bible there are um, 132 occasions that Jesus comes in contact with someone. And of those 132 occasions where Jesus comes in contact with someone, six of them happen in a temple. And four of them happen in synagogues, which are kind of the religious buildings on the rural parts of, the, of Israel. But the other 122 occasions where Jesus comes in contact with people and has conversations with people happens out and about in the mainstream parts of life, not inside a religious building. Jesus decided to go out and invest in people who were living in darkness because he knew that they needed the light. It's the way of love, it's, it's the way of Jesus. It's why Jesus went to weddings and why Jesus went to parties and Jesus went to banquets. It's why Jesus went on boat rides and went on fishing trips and, and, and Jesus went to dinner parties. And the reason that lots of people in our world and our culture and our society are very cynical and resistant to Christianity is that many of them have never met a Christian where they learn to trust them first. Before people need a Bible verse, they need a friend. Before people need a gospel presentation, they need to know that somebody really genuinely cares about them. So you invest in relationships.
And then when, when you've earned trust and you've built trust, then you invite boldly. Now, one of the people that um, Jesus encountered just out and about in the mainstream parts of life that were not part of the religious buildings was uh, the woman in Samaria that he met at the well. And we've talked about her a lot in a lot of different occasions, but her story shows up in John chapter four. Now this is the woman who had had five husbands before. This is a woman who was now living with a guy that wasn't her husband. This is a woman who had gone through life and life had not turned out the way that she thought it would. And it has left her very unfulfilled in this life. But then she is totally and completely transformed by a conversation that she has with Jesus. And the Bible says that she left her empty water jar, okay, which is a very precious commodity to her. She left her water jar there at the well and she ran into the city to tell anyone who would listen to her about the life that she found through Jesus. This is what she says in John 4, 29. She says, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Come and see. And, and in making that request, there's this citywide Jesus movement that, that breaks out and there's an entire community that is transformed, all because one, one woman that people didn't really care for, okay, people in the city didn't even like very much, because that woman invited boldly and simply said to everybody that she came across, come and see, you gotta come and see, you gotta come and see. Back to the parable that, that Jesus was telling real quickly. The master says, go into the streets and the alleyways and the towns. Invite the crippled and the lame and the blind, the poor. And then Jesus finishes his story in Luke 14, 22. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done to go out into the alleyways and invite all the poor and the lame and the crippled and the blind. But there is still room. I love that Jesus didn't leave this out. There is still room. Can you look around you right now for just a second? Can you look around? There's still room here. There's seats in front of you and behind you and next to you. There's still room. And I'll make this promise. You fill this up, we'll start a new service. And we'll make more room. And there'll still be room. We don't have a room problem. Jesus kept going. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes. Keep going. Don't just stay in the city. Go out and compel them to come in so that my house will be full. Jesus loves a full house. And you gotta understand this. Jesus loves a full house, not because he wants his churches to just get bigger and bigger and bigger. But so that more lives 
can become better and better and better. That they may know light in the darkness. So, know your five. Pray specifically. Invest and invite. And let's see what God can do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for inviting us into your kingdom. At times, there's many of us who are followers of you, and we kind of don't remember our before Jesus life. It's become so normal to us to have your forgiveness and your grace and your mercy and your love. And God, sometimes we, uh, we become a little arrogant in that and begin to think that that grace and forgiveness and that comfort that we have and that light that we always have, that we're able to kind of shine into the darkness no matter how dark it gets. We kind of hold it all just to ourselves. And so God, would you just help us? Help us to know the opportunity that you have given us to invest and invite. To invite boldly those who are in our world, those who are in our specific sphere of influence who need to be invited to encounter you and to experience the life change that we've experienced. May we recognize how powerful an invitation can be And may we be willing to invest and invite so that others may know the grace, the forgiveness of Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me this morning. Maybe you're here today, and today you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And today you haven't kind of come to that place in your journey yet. And maybe today you're kind of sensing that Jesus is saying This love, grace, and forgiveness, it was meant for you as much as for anybody else. And today can be the day that you say yes to him and be baptized in his name. We'd love for that to be a decision that we get to participate in with you today. But maybe you've already made that decision and maybe a decision that you wanna make is to be a part of this church here at First Christian as we're kind of leaning into where God is leading us. And we'd love to have you with us. So if you have one of those decisions to make, we invite you to come. Maybe you just have questions about those decisions. We have folks who will be here to talk with you, pray with you, answer questions that you have. And so you can walk down these aisles as we sing here in just a moment. But for the rest of us, and we have an opportunity just to lift our voices in praise and celebration and thank you to the Christ, the Son of the living God. Let's sing together.
Thank you.